Well, good morning. We want to just welcome everybody who is gathered to worship with us today, whether you're doing it by way of our live stream or whether you're out at my campus at Midlothian, hello guys, or here at our Colonial Heights campus. We're excited to be together in God's house to be able to worship, to sing praises to Him, to lift up our prayers together and to study His Word. Before we get into our sermon today, let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we are just so thankful. Thankful that we have a God who loves us, a God who, as we sang a moment ago, leaves the 99 to search out the one. Because, Lord, as we sit here in all of our different locations today, Lord, we are represented by that one. For, Father, we have, we're all lost and gone astray. And, Father, we thank you that you sent your Son. Father, we come to you today to hear your word, to ask you to speak to us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. William Arthur Cummings, man better known to his teammates and friends as Candy Cummings, was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1939. Now, at first glance, Candy Cummings is not somebody you think would be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, after all, he was a pitcher and his Overall, Major League record was 21 wins and 22 losses. You know, not quite the statistics that you would think would put you in the Hall of Fame with all of baseball's greats, but nevertheless, there he is. But you see, Candy Cummings did not make the Hall of Fame because of his long list of statistics. Candy Cummings made the Hall of Fame because of one pitch. He is the man credited with inventing the curveball. From the time he was 14 years old, he began to work on a pitch that would change trajectory and thereby fool the batter. And by the 1860s, he had developed that pitch and was using it effectively in the amateur ranks. Baseball purists of the day didn't like the pitch. They felt like it was dishonest. And in fact, college teams, as the ability to throw that pitch was learned and other people began to use it. College teams banned their pitchers from using it because they said it was deceptive and that it wasn't fair. Well, if you know anything about baseball, you know the curveball stuck. In fact, it is a major part of almost every pitcher's repertoire now, whether you're a major league player or a high school player. But even more than that, curveball took on kind of a meaning of its own. It became an idiom, a phrase we use in almost every area of life. Whenever we encounter something unexpected, something that throws us off, we say, well, man, that really was a curveball. It becomes, you know, to mean that which we did not expect and that which causes us to stop and to struggle with it for a little while. In baseball, a well-thrown curveball is not the one that breaks into the strike zone and you're called, a strike is called on you. The really good curveball is the one that's thrown down low and out and curves away from you and has you looking foolish as you go outside of your comfort zone to try to hit it. That's what curveballs in life do. They take us outside our comfort zone. They take us outside that area in which we should be operating and cause us to go chasing those things that shouldn't be there. How many of you in here today have had a curveball thrown at you in life? Let me see. 
How about it, Midlothian? How many of you? You know, it's not a matter of whether we're going to face a curveball, is it? It's a matter of when we're going to face a curveball. We're all going to experience that at some point in our lives. We're going to come across that thing that is unexpected, unplanned. And we're going to come across those things that cause us to not know what to do next. Well, thankfully, there are examples in the Word of God of people who have experienced curveballs and handled them effectively. I mean, we could find all sorts of examples. We could go to the Old Testament and go to Daniel, who found himself in the lion's den. Or we could go to Joseph of the Old Testament, who found himself sold into slavery by his brothers. And that was just the first of several curveballs that he faced. We could go to Job, who had his family and his wealth taken from him. We could go to Abraham, the father of the faith, who got a curveball when God came to him and said, I want you to leave everything you know, everything you're familiar with, and I want you to journey to a place I'm going to show you that I've prepared for you. We could go to Paul, who was struck blind on the road to Damascus. Pretty big curveball there. But where I want us to go today is to one maybe you never thought about being on the list. So I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at another Joseph. Not the Joseph of the coat of many colors. Not the Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. But Joseph who was engaged to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse 18. It says the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Those of you that are my age and older, and yes, young people, there are some older than me, (laughs) but you're familiar with the name probably of Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey was a radio commentator, a radio personality. And among other things that he did, he was known for a segment in which he would tell a story, but he would leave out certain facts. Maybe the name or the particular, a particular thing within the situation. And then in the very end, he would reveal that to you. And he would end with the phrase and said, and now you know the rest of the story. I think sometimes, 
as believers, as followers of Christ, as churchgoers. We look at events and stories depicted in the Bible, and we sometimes miss out on some of the significance of what is taking place because you and I know the rest of the story. We know where this goes. But I want us today, as we're looking at this, to keep in mind that as we enter the story here alongside Mary and Joseph, Joseph doesn't know the rest of the story. As he discovers that Mary is with child, discovers that she is pregnant, he doesn't know the rest of the story. He assumes what any of us would have assumed. And so keep that in mind as we look at it. He doesn't have the benefit of knowing what we know, at least not at the beginning of the story. And so as we look at this, it helps to keep in mind and to understand the, the Jewish marriage custom and what went on. Because it says here in this passage that uh, they were engaged. And so that kind of throws us off in our modern day concept because we understand engagement in our time and in our day. But in this day and in this time and in the Jewish concept, it was totally different. It's sometimes in the scripture translated as engaged, sometimes as betrothed, sometimes as espoused. But what happened in this day and time, what was taking place in the life of Joseph and Mary is that the engagement took place and once that was done, it was of the depth and of the extent of marriage. And so they would become engaged or betrothed together and it was as if they were married. And then there would be an interval in there between that engagement and when he would come to her father's house and pick up his bride and take her back to his house. It could be a short interval. Sometimes it was a longer interval. But you had that period of time in there. And that's where Matthew drops us today. He drops us in that interval between the time that Mary and Joseph had become engaged and the time that Joseph was to go and bring his bride home. And so in that interval, he, he describes it. He says, before they came together, before they connected up when he had brought her back, he says, in that interval, we have what's taking place. And so we have Joseph and Mary, you know, this very standard traditional couple who has become engaged and who's waiting to be married. And all of a sudden, something takes place. And you have to acknowledge and admit, it's pretty significant curveball, isn't it? Think about it from both Mary and Joseph's perspective. We see what Mary encounters and how she deals with it in the Gospel of Luke. But here in the Gospel of Matthew, we see it from uh, Joseph's perspective. And so now he learns that this woman to whom he is engaged but has never been with is pregnant. And so his first assumption is what all of us would first assume. She has been with another man. And so now everything he had planned, everything they had been anticipating, everything he had been thinking about has been thrown for a loop, has experienced this curveball. And so then we look at how Joseph is going to handle this. And as we think about it, we see in here some lessons for us on how to handle life's curveballs. Because as we said, every one of us is going to experience curveballs. It might be in the form of an unexpected death within our family. It might be in the form of an unexpected doctor's report and an illness that you've got. It might be in the form of losing your job or, or having some kind of financial ruin. 
It can be anything that causes us to all of a sudden not be able to move ahead like we expected. How do we deal with those things? Well, let's look at what Joseph did. First lesson I think we learn in the life of Joseph as he encounters this amazing event, this amazing curveball in his life, is we need to understand when we face curveballs in life, be cautious about your next step. Be cautious about your next step. You see, our tendency is to be impulsive. Our tendency is we've got to immediately go out and do something. We've got to do something to correct it. We've got to do something to change it. We've got to do something to get past it. But what the Word of God teaches us is that sometimes we just need to wait. Getting back to baseball itself, a hitting instructor will tell a young person who's trying to learn how to hit a curveball that your biggest problem is you want to jump on it too soon. He says you've got to learn to wait for the pitch. You've got to learn to hesitate a little bit. He said it's in that waiting and in that hesitation that you can see where you need to swing and what you need to do. I don't know how many people I have encountered in my 40 years in the ministry who in the midst of a curveball, in the midst of a crisis, have made decisions impulsively and quickly that they later regretted. And so Joseph says, what we learn from Joseph here is that we need to be cautious. You see, the default experience for Joseph would have been to publicly bring Mary forth and divorce her. Now, we think engagement, why do you need a divorce? Now, back then, remember, it's different. Breaking an engagement was not just asking for your engagement ring back or tossing it at him, ladies. Breaking an engagement back then was like breaking a marriage. And so it had to be a divorce. And what was usually done is they were brought publicly before the court and the facts were laid out and the court would grant them a divorce. But it was a very public, a very nasty kind of thing. But that was a standard thing to do. In fact... Truthfully, the penalty for this was being stoned to death. Now, in this period of time where Joseph and Mary were, that was not what they usually did. But they did usually put the the spouse who had cheated, the spouse who was guilty of adultery, they would put them up for public disgrace. But it says Joseph thought about it. Yes, that was what he was entitled to do. Yes, that was the default of what he should have done. But it says, Joseph, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided he would divorce her privately, quietly. And that was done simply by going before two witnesses and declaring the divorce. You see, Joseph had every right, every expectation by most people to move ahead with this public display of divorce. But he didn't act impulsively. He didn't operate out of his impulse. He was cautious about it. And we see in it something of the kind of man that Joseph was. So when you're facing the curveballs in life, be cautious. Don't don't act impulsively. Don't act too quickly. Give God time to show you what he wants. Secondly, be prepared. Be prepared. 
See, we need to have a foundation prepared when we face curveballs. Whether we're talking about baseball or we're talking about life. You know, how do you prepare yourself as a baseball player to face a curveball? You practice hitting curveballs. You don't want the very first time you ever see a curveball to be when you're standing in the batter's box with two out in the bottom of the last inning. That's too late. You're not going to be able to handle it. And you don't want to face the curveballs of life with no spiritual foundation. No basis there on which to make the right decisions and do the right things. You notice that it says in here about Joseph, he was a righteous man. That tells you of his spiritual foundation. This is a man who seeks to be obedient to God. This is a man who lives his life trying to be in a right relationship with God. doesn't mean he's perfect, but it means he's seeking to be who God wants him to be. That's what he's talking about there. And because he had that spiritual foundation, he was able to face the curveball that came. He was able to make the right decisions. In life, you need to be prepared to face the unexpected. Listen to this quote from Dwight Eisenhower. He says, In preparing for battle, I've always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. Do you understand what he's saying there? When we go into battles, when we go in life, our plans are going to change. I mean, every batter that goes up to the plate goes up to the plate planning to hit, right? Planning to get on base. But it doesn't always work that way. You know, I've gone up to the plate back years ago when I played. I've gone up and I said, I'm going to take that first pitch and I'm going to drive it out into right field. Next thing I knew, I'm one strike behind. It didn't go as I planned. But as Eisenhower says, what makes the difference is the preparation. What makes the difference is the planning. What makes the difference is the foundation that we have. We need to be prepared for those events that are going to come. Because as we said, it's not if, it's not whether, it's when. When the curveball comes, when the storms come, when the struggles come. That's what it's all about. Life is going to change your plans. I remember as a youngster in my hometown... That was a fellow who was known by just about everybody in town. And one of the things he was known for, and this is back before the days of mixed martial arts and everything all over the place, he used to tell everybody, he says, you better not mess with me. I know karate. That's the way he always said it. I know karate. One particular weekend I was in town, my daddy... (laughs) Looks up and he said, look at him. And I look and this guy's walking up and it's very obvious that he has been on the losing end of a fight. I mean, he is beat up. He is battered. And he comes walking up and my dad said, what happened? He said, I was in a fight. And they said, but I thought you knew karate. He said, I did, but the other guy didn't. (laughs) See, he had a plan, but he didn't have any planning, any preparation that went into it. He didn't know any only thing he knew was karate, and he didn't say that right to begin with. <laughs> Life is going to change our plans. And what we do when those plans change 
is based on our preparation. It's based on the kind of men and women that we have prepared ourselves to be through the power of God. C.S. Lewis says this, Surely what a man does when he's taken off guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he really is. How we respond to the curveballs of life tell us about our preparation, about our foundation, about our planning. So we need to be cautious. We need to be prepared. But we also need to be aware of what's happening in the situation. You see, the whole purpose behind the curveball is it's not what it appears to be. When that pitcher throws that ball, the batter thinks it's going to be in one place when actually it's going to be in another. And to add to the problem, if that's not deceitful and cunning enough by these pitchers, there's a thing called the curveball illusion. Not only does the ball actually move, but the way it spins fools your eye and fools your brain. It makes you think it's going faster than it really is. So you're swinging where you think the ball is going to be and it was never going to be there in the first place. It was not what it appeared to be. You see, the curveball is all about deception. And Satan is all about deception. And so whenever we have those events in our lives, and you know, let's be honest, those events can come from all sorts of places. They can come from our own disobedience, our own ignorance, our own poor choices. They can come from Satan seeking to trip us up. That's one of his names, the tripper. And sometimes it can even come from God. But no matter where it comes from, Satan's going to jump in there and try to do what he can do to deceive you. And he's going to try to make you think when you're in the midst of those situations and when you're dealing with those struggles that God doesn't care. And he's going to try to make you think God's not here. God's not with you. God's left you on your own, but that's not the case. Think about Joseph here. When he first heard about this curveball, when he first learned that Mary was pregnant, he thought, that must mean I'm not supposed to marry her. Logical assumption, right? But that was not what God had in store. That was not God's plan. God was throwing this curveball to them to prepare them for what was to come that would not only change and transform their lives, but would have the opportunity to change and transform every one of our lives throughout history as the Savior of the world was coming to this young woman, to this couple. Look at what it says again in the Scripture. He's contemplating, thinking about all these things. It says in verse 20, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph's thinking the answer is, well, God's not in this marriage anymore, and I need to get out of it. But what God is showing to him is, no, I am in this. This is my plan. This is my purpose. This is my calling for you. Chuck Swindoll says, when you accept the fact that sometimes seasons are dry and times are hard, but that God is in control of both, 
you will discover a sense of divine refuge because the hope then is in God and not in yourselves. See, that's the key. Be aware that God is at work, no matter what the curveball, no matter what the situation. Remember what Scripture tells us. In all things, God works together for good to them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. God is at work. God is moving. God is doing. And so understand that. You know, be cautious. Don't rush out impulsively and do something. And, and take the time now to prepare yourself for what may to come in the future. But also be aware that God will not leave you nor forsake you. God is in it. Even in this case where God's delivering the curveball. You see, there are times when God wants to move us into a new direction. And so he'll do that. And that's what he's doing here with them. And then one final thing is be ready. Be ready. Again, a hitting instructor in baseball will tell that batter, he said, when you get ready to take your swing, be ready and let it go. Don't hesitate then. Once you've decided to swing, swing. And we need to be ready to move when God tells us to move. Look at what it says about Joseph in verse 24. When he woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. Yes, he faced a curveball. But when he discovered what God wanted him to do next, he did not hesitate. He moved. You know, we have a thing that when we face the unexpected, when we face the fearful, we say, well, we have the fight or flight. You know, we're either going to stand and bow up our backs and we're going to fight in that situation or we're going to run. Do you realize there's also a third thing? It's called freeze. We're going to do nothing. We're not going to run. We're not going to fight. We're just going to do nothing. And far too many of us are guilty of doing that in our lives. Remember, our life, our Christian journey is just that, a journey. A journey implies that you're moving. A journey implies that you're doing something. You're not caught there frozen because you're scared to try anything. You're scared to move. Seek God in what you're doing and then move forward in that. It's what he calls us to do. Listen to Elizabeth Elliot. God is God. Because he is God, he's worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will. That will is unspeakably beyond my largest notion of what he's up to. You see, we don't know what God's doing in every situation. That's why he's God, as Elizabeth Elliot says, and we're not. But what's called of us is to be obedient, to trust him, to move, to swing when he says swing. So we need to be ready to respond to God in these situations. My guess is, no, it's not a guess, I know. There are those of us sitting in here and in Midlothian and listening on the live stream that have faced curveballs this week. In fact, here in our own church staff, we've seen some curveballs this week. 
I'll even tell you, as I was, this message, I had decided what I was going to preach, what the points were. I mean, almost everything about this message, I, God had given me a month ago. And I thought, boy, this is going to be good. I'm going to get it to the, the sign language interpreters early. I'm going to get it to Mike early. You know when I got it to him? Yesterday. Just several curveballs that came up. And I thought, how appropriate. How appropriate. We're going to face those things. But how do we respond to them? We respond cautiously, not impulsively. We make sure we're preparing ourselves now for what's going to come in the future. We're aware that God is there no matter what's happening. Don't let Satan deceive you. And be ready to go when God tells you to go. So, in this passage, we find some instruction. Some lessons for us in facing life's curveball. But you know what? There's a lesson in here far greater than that. It's found in verse 21. Look at it again. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Charles Spurgeon, in his notes in his Bible on this passage, Matthew 121, He says, the first link between my soul and Christ is not my goodness, but my badness. Not my merit, but my misery. Not my standing, but my falling. Not my riches, but my need. See, the thing we really need to pull out of this passage is that we are people in need of a Savior. And God loved us so much that He sent His Son to be that Savior. God sent His Son, Jesus, Savior, because of my badness, because of my misery, because of my falling. And because of my need. But not just for me, but for you as well. See, God loved you so much that he sent his son. Who left heaven and came to earth. Miraculously born of a virgin. Who lived a perfect life so that he could be the perfect penalty for sin. Who went to the cross and died. Not because of what he had done, but because of what we had done. And who rose again. To not only show that he defeated sin, but that he defeated death in the grave as well. And so if you're here today and you've never realized that, never acknowledged that, never accepted that, never cried out to God to save you before, that's the main reason you're here. Yes, you got a nice lesson on how to handle life's difficulties, how to handle life's curveballs. The real message God has for you today is that Jesus Christ came and demonstrated his love toward you. That while you were yet a sinner, Christ died. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord.
And Lord, we thank you for the lessons of handling life's difficulties, handling life's curveballs. Yes, Lord, we all need that because we all experience them. But Father, we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. Who left the splendor of heaven and came to earth to die the most horrid death imaginable. Because he loved us. Because he came, Lord, to pay the price for our sin, our disobedience, our shortcomings. And again, Father, wherever people may be listening to today's message, there are those there, Lord, who've never experienced that love, never accepted that gift, never had their lives forever changed. May today be the day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.